This morning we'll be in Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And before we get to our text this morning, I was thinking about our time in Scotland a few years ago. And many of you know that we took lots of hikes. In fact, we tried to do a hike a day was kind of our, our theme. And we almost made it. A um, couple days, we're, uh, un- we were unable to hike um, in the Scottish summer, which is not very much kind of like this right now outside. And so we uh, didn't get hiking every day, but we did take a lot of hikes. And the trails in Scotland are marked with trail markers like many trails are here in the United States. But over there, I think I've shared this before, they call them way markers. Not trail markers, but way markers. And they mark the right way to go. Well, I don't remember us going the wrong way in our Scotland hikes. Uh, they were way marked pretty well. But I have been hiking in a lot of other places where I've realized that I've gone the wrong way. And I don't know about the rest of you, if you've ever gone on a hike and found yourself going the wrong way. And I want to kind of think about what happens when you've gone the wrong way. What do you do? Do you just kind of sit down and start crying because you've gone the wrong way and you're lost and you don't know where you're going to go? Maybe. I mean, I remember doing that one time uh, a long time ago. I was, um, I don't remember exactly how old, but I found myself very lost. And at first I kind of just thought, oh, it's, it's over. I'm lost. <laughs> And I just kind of sat down and kind of cried. But no, what do you do when you go the wrong way? Well, sometimes you might think, well, I I know where the right path is and I'll find my way there and I'll just kind of work my way through, through the woods or through the brush and find my way there. But usually that doesn't work very well. I mean, you can get more lost, (laughs) right? Um, You can get stuck in thorns and bushes and stuff like that. You can, or you can get really hurt because the way that you're going is not a, a safe way to travel, to walk. What's the best thing to do if you've found yourself going the wrong way when you're out for a hike? The best thing to do is to turn around and go back the way you came, right? To realize I am lost. I have no idea where I am. And if I keep going, I'm going to get more lost. And if I try to go find the right trail, I could get even more lost or hurt. And what I better do right now is I better turn around and go back the exact way that I just came. To go back until you find a way marker for the trail that you were originally on. And this morning, we're going to talk about repentance. And kids, I want you to keep that picture of, uh, of a trail, of, a, of the way markers showing us where to go. And if we get off, what is our best thing to do? It's to turn around and go back the way that we came. And that's, as we think about repentance, think about that trail. Say, if you were walking that trail, right, and you get lost, you know, sometimes we think of repentance as just being, of just saying, I'm sorry, to admit that you're wrong. And while that's certainly part of that, let, let me ask you about that trail situation. If you're on that trail and you find yourself lost, you find yourself in the wrong place, does saying that you are wrong, or if you're leading others, saying you're sorry to them, 
Other than saying that you're wrong and saying you're sorry, does it do anything? You're still lost, right? You're still on that path wherever you're going and you've, you've realized it and you, and you admit, oh, I'm lost, I'm wrong. Or you turn to the people that you're leading and go, you know what, I'm sorry, we're going the wrong way. And while they may appreciate that, you're still lost. No, you have to turn around and go back and find the way marker. You can't just say that you were wrong or that you're sorry. Yes, we have to admit we're wrong, but repentance is more than mere words or thought. Repentance is actually turning around or turning away from the path that you were taking and back to where you need to be, back to the way marker that you missed. In our case this morning, back to God. So let's read Luke 3, 1 through 6. So we think about this call to repentance, repentance preparing the way. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judah and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iteria and Traconitus, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zebedee, in the wilderness. And he went into the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the prophet Isaiah and your prophet John who came proclaiming to prepare the way of the Lord, preparing through repentance. Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear this day. And Lord, that we would as John calls us to, as you call us to, to repentance, to turn and come back to you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So we continue in our series in the Gospel of Luke. Last week we read of Jesus being presented in the temple, and we saw that Jesus is the light of revelation. He reveals our need he reveals his glory. He reveals our hope. And you might have noticed that we skipped Luke 2, 41 through 52. And I skipped it not because it's not important, all scripture is important, but because we looked at this passage just a few months ago in our Shalom series. The sermon was titled Growing in Shalom. And if you missed it or you don't remember, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it. So this week we move on to the beginning of John's ministry. Again, we see that Luke gives very specific time and place of John's ministry. This would have 
been sometime in the year 28 to 29 AD, dated from Tiberius's reign. And again, Luke gives us this historical setting. He wants us to know that this happened in a particular time and place. He wants us to understand what's happening around this little place called Judah in Galilee. And Galilee. But he gives us this not just for those reasons, for, but Luke shows us the word of God has come to John, right? This idea that God's word has come to John, to this new prophet of a new era, so to speak. It's a significant event, right? It's not just that it happened. It's not just that this was somewhere out in the wilderness somewhere and that the word of God came to John, but he's placing it in this historical context in this time and place because Luke is wanting us to see that this, (laughs) this event that takes place, that the word of God has come to John is a significant event in both world history and in salvation history. This is an event that rivals and exceeds the reign of Tiberius Caesar. The reign of all those who are, that, that Luke talks about in terms of placing this within this particular context. It's greater than Tiberius Caesar reigning over all the Roman Empire. It's greater than Herod and his brothers reigning over the areas that they've been given. It's greater than Annas or Caiaphas as the high priests of the people of God at that time. The word of God has come to John, and this is a significant event. It is only less significant than the arrival of Jesus himself, the embodied living word of God. And so as we set this context, as we look at this text, we're reminded that this happens in the specific time and place, and this is a most significant event in both world and salvation history. And what John has come to do is he has come to bring God's people to repentance, to proclaim a need of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And as we are going to unpack this today, we have to admit, as C.S. Lewis reminds us in our worship meditation, that repentance isn't something that we like. Right? He says, repentance is no fun at all. It's no fun at all because... One, we have to admit that we're on the wrong path, right? That we missed the way marker, that we're going the wrong way. And if you're like me, who, as my family will tell you, is the direction guy, I love maps. I'm the guy who knows where I'm going. I can go one place one time and it's seared in my memory. I don't ever have to look at a map again or pull out my GPS. I hate admitting when I'm lost. I hate it. 
And if I hate admitting when I'm lost just by driving or walking or riding my bike somewhere, how much more do we hate admitting that we're lost? When it comes to our spiritual, our ethical, our character. Repentance isn't something that we like. But what we see in our text is that Jesus, through John, calls us to repentance to prepare the way. He calls us to repentance to prepare the way. And what we're going to see is that repentance, while it's no fun at all, should be something that we actually seek, something that we actually rejoice in. Not rejoicing in the path that we took to get to our need for that, but to rejoice in what God does out of it. Jesus calls us to repentance to prepare the way. First, we want to look at what is repentance? And then, what does it mean that he calls us to prepare the way in our repentance? First, what is repentance? John calls the people to repentance. And if John's calling the people of God to repentance. We are the people of God as well. And so what we need to understand what this is. And part of this, I am sorry, I, I didn't get a chance to kind of dig deeply into repentance in terms of what in the, like in the Spanish language we tend to think of. But in the English language, We tend to think of repentance as kind of contrition, a sense of doing wrong, kind of saying that we are sorry, a confession of our sin to God and to others, to be sorrowful for what we've done. And those are components of repentance, right? Those are kind of some of the initial ways in which we express our repentance. To be contrite, to have a sense of wrongdoing, to confess our sin to God and to others, to be sorrowful for what we have done, for where we find ourselves. Like me on the path that, you know, where I'm lost, sitting down and crying because I realize I am lost. But repentance in the Bible is not just that. And we, I think, in, as Christians in the church, when we think of repentance as merely that, we are stunted in what God will do through repentance. We don't experience all that God desires 
out of our repentance. We don't see the fruit of repentance that we're called to. You see, biblical repentance is more than just that. It's to actually change one's way of life. It's a to change one's way of life as the result of a complete change of thought and attitude with regard to sin and righteousness. To repent is to change one's way. As I said, talked about before, right, when we were talking about the, the path, when we were talking about the trail, to change one's way, to turn around, to turn away from, to change one's way. The emphasis in metanoia, that's the, the Greek term for repentance, metanoia. Right? Many of you know of our uh, national PCA ministry called Metanoia, which is a prison ministry. We've, many of you are involved in, in that ministry. Metanoia is the Greek word for repentance. And it's not just saying we're sorry, but it is a total change of both thought and behavior. Right? That's why they chose that name, Metanoia, for our prison ministry. Right? It's not just to say you're sorry, but it's a complete change of thought and action, of thought and behavior with respect to how one should think and act. And so when John's calling God's people to repentance, it's not merely a sorrowful uh, contrition. It's not merely a confession of our sin. It is a whole life change. It is to turn around. It is to change one's way. John's purpose is to call people to repentance and to give them a knowledge of salvation. Right, this repentance is an outworking of the salvation that God is working within us. He says, John uses the term to give or knowledge. Luke uses that, that terminology. He gives it to, to John. And knowledge is kind of the Lucan synonym for faith. It is drawn from the Old Testament wisdom literature, like the two ways that's described in Scripture, the way of God or the way of the wicked. Ecclesiastes has this theme. It's prominent in many of the Psalms. And so John is giving knowledge of our need for repentance and forgiveness. He's calling us to live out the faith that we have been given in Christ Jesus. And this repentance takes place in a particular Place. And we may kind of just go over that and not realize what Luke is trying to help us see. That this repentance takes place in the wilderness. Right? John is in the wilderness. The word of God comes to John in the wilderness and he's in the wilderness by the Jordan. And in this, Luke is trying to liven our imagination to help us to think historically, redemptively historically of what is happening here. It's not just the place where John is, though he was certainly there, but God in placing him in this wilderness is calling us to remember a time of repentance in the history of God's people. 
And over and over again in the scriptures, the wilderness is a place and a theme, and it's also true in the Gospels. Think about in the Old Testament, the wilderness is where the people of God wandered in the wilderness. The wilderness is a place of being where is arid and dry, a place that there feels like God is absent. Think of the New Testament. Jesus that we'll see in just a few chapters, the temptation in the wilderness, the feeding of the 5,000. And the content of John's preaching is set in this desert wilderness setting. The Old Testament prophesied that God would begin his eschatological restoration of Israel in the desert in a new exodus that would transcend Israel's first wilderness wanderings. He calls his people to the wilderness in in Hosea chapter 2, verses 14 through 23, and promises to bring new life out of the wilderness. Vineyards will grow. He will show mercy. His people who were not his people will be his people. He will bring his people into the wilderness in Ezekiel 20, 33 through 38 to purge out the rebels. What better place to purge a desolate, arid, ruined place? Those who are rebels would certainly be purged. When the going gets tough, not the tough get going, but when the going gets tough, the rebels get going, right? But for those who come to the wilderness and are his people, they will see rivers and pools of water spring forth. Choice drink will be given to them. A beautiful garden of trees will shoot from the wilderness, Isaiah 41 and 43 tell us. Just as God called his people through John the Baptist to the wilderness, he calls us to the wilderness from time to time to remember our need for him, to give us a spirit of repentance. Maybe you feel like you're in the wilderness this morning. I think this past year has felt like a wilderness for many of us. Everything around us is dried up. If you're in a movie, Western movie, tumbleweeds are, you know, blowing by. We are all rebels. In some form or fashion, we are all rebels. And we, are, we will either be purged by God from his people, our comfort, our wants, our way, not God's way, we have been shown to us to be the most important. And God, by bringing us into the wilderness, is warning us. And we're either going to be purged or we're going to realize in that wilderness setting our need for the God who leads his people through the wilderness, who prepares them for the promised land, who brings out of this wilderness streams of gladness and joy, rivers that overflow, good drink, gardens of beautiful trees. God is warning us And are we rebels who realize our rebellion, repent? Are we rebels who are purged? 
We realize it is our way as those who understand our rebellion. We realize it is our way that has caused God to lead us to this wilderness and our need for him, and we repent. And in our repentance, the wilderness brings, begins to transform into a place of joy and delight. This is the image of the promised land. Again, not only is John in the wilderness, but he's in the wilderness along the Jordan. What happened in the life of God's people along the Jordan? Is where God's people were taken into the promised land. They were baptized into a new covenant with God, a renewed covenant with God into the promised land. And this wilderness that has, is transformed into joy and light is the image of the promised land, the place of God's people, the region of the Jordan that was the wilderness, but we come the place of promise. You see, we have to remember that in Scripture and in all of life, God not only gives us spiritual realities, but he gives us physical, actual things happening and participating in, in our lives to help us understand what he is doing. Right? We're not Gnostics who just believe in a spiritual plane, and that's where we have to get to, but that we understand that in the incarnation, that in Christ, in the word of God coming to John the Baptist. In the word of God coming and tabernacling among us, we're reminded that both there's a spiritual and physical realm that God works in and continues to work in. And he gives us these images of the physical reality to help us understand our spiritual reality. And they both interconnect and work together. So like the wilderness is a real place. And yet it speaks to our spiritual wilderness, our need for God. When Jesus talks about giving sight to the blind, it is literally giving sight to the blind. <laughs> Those who are physically blind, but it's also a greater reality of the spiritual blindness that we all have in that we, he gives sight. <laughs> that we can see that we've gone the wrong way. And we need to repent. John's baptism that he's calling the people to, John's proclamation of repentance is a repudiation of the old way of life and a conversion that includes faith in this new era of salvation that was dawning and is today and continues to come. This is the repentance that we are being called to. To see the wrong ways in which we have walked and to turn, to turn back. This repentance has a part of it, the forgiveness of sins. John was proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This describes the content of salvation. To give salvation to the world is the essence of the ministries that John is proclaiming that of Jesus to come. 
This connection is made here by Luke to the ministry of John the Baptist that the proclamation of forgiveness reaches its full fulfillment in the messianic ministry of Jesus. And to forgive sins is to release a person from them. A prisoner, like they've been freed from a dungeon, which is the image that Jesus gives us in chapter 4, verse 18. And forgiveness of sins is the cornerstone of the new creation Christ brings through his ministry of healing and preaching. And John is preparing us for that. He's calling us to repentance, to prepare the way for this ministry of healing, of making all things the way they are supposed to be. He's calling us to this repentance to prepare the way. And that's the second thing we see in our text today, that John's mission is to prepare his ways. The way is a language from the Old Testament. If you remember, Moses encouraged the Israelites to remember all the way that Yahweh, their God, had led them for 40 years in the wilderness in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. Then he exhorts them to keep the commandments of Yahweh your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him in Deuteronomy 8, 6. The way is both a journey and a in faith and a lifestyle. The path to the promised land and the posture of confession in which they should walk. This is the idea, the, the picture of the in the Old Testament. And this journey and lifestyle continues in the Old Testament. The concept of the two ways, God's way or people's way. Psalm 1, verse 6, an example. For Yahweh knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Proverbs, again, takes this same idea that offers many similar examples that contrast the way of wisdom, righteousness, the way of the Lord, the way of the folly, the iniquity of people. And John prepares the way. He prepares this way for everyone, Jews and Gentiles, everyone under the leadership. Again, Luke places it in this context to help his readers and to help us realize that this was not just something happening in a podunk part of Israel for a particular group of people, for a special group of people, but this is for all people over the entire known and unknown earth. This is for everyone, Jews and Gentiles, everyone under the leadership of Tiberius Caesar or Pontius Pilate or Herod or Tetrarch Philip or Lysanias or Ananias or Caiaphas. Everyone that is under the leadership of these great leaders are called to repentance, to prepare the way. The way that John prepares for Jesus the Messiah will be straight. And Luke uses the words of Isaiah to help us understand what repentance prepares the way for. It's made straight by filling in the valleys, bringing low the mountains, making straight the crooked and smooth and rough places. The Messiah will enter his holy city unimpeded and accomplish his destiny. The road made crooked by brokenness must be made straight through a preaching that calls for repentance. Turning from sin back to God. 
this prophecy that Isaiah gave, it reflect a understanding, a custom in the ancient world that when an eminent ruler was about to visit a city, the citizens would construct a smooth road so that he could enter the city with pomp and dignity. And Isaiah was calling the people of God. And Luke connects that to the ministry of John the Baptist, calling the people of God, calling us to repentance. That in our repentance, we prepare the way. In our repentance, we begin to make a flat place. We begin to make a road that salvation comes on. In our repentance, we begin to tear down the obstacles that are in place. We build up the low places so that we don't get stuck in the mud. We can't miss this point that the great highway John was building was one of repentance. John was not saying literally, mend your roads, but mend your lives. To put it in American geography, repentance includes removing the obstacles, flattening, flattening, flattening the Rockies, filling the death valleys in our lives so that Christ has full access. But repentance isn't merely about as I said, about the spiritual need that we have, right? There are often physical aspects. There are often ways in which our repentance that we come to spiritually to create the path, create the opportunity, the openness for salvation to come. There's often also a physical aspect to that. That in our repentance, there may be something that needs to be done to make the way, to prepare the way. I was reading of a story uh, that happened, I think, about maybe 30 years ago. A, a gentleman in Kansas, I believe his name was Al Johnson, he came to faith in Christ. And in coming to faith in Christ, he understood that Repentance meant actually doing something about past sin that he, had, that he had been complicit in. And one of those sins was that when he was 19 years old, he was a part of a bank robbery. And, while, and so he went to the police and he confessed that he was a part of that bank robbery. Now the statute of limitations had passed. He was a much older man at this point. So he wasn't able, they weren't able to process him in the court of law. But he understood that his, his repentance not only meant confession, but he paid back what was stolen from the bank. He understood that his spiritual repentance, his understanding of 
Christ being coming into his life, that he repented and the way was made plain that Christ would come in by the power of the Holy Spirit meant also that there were actual things in his life that his repentance meant that he had to bring restoration to. Repentance invites the fullness of God. Not just into our lives, but into the lives of others, into the world. Right? In fact, when God's people live repentantly, like a life of repentance, it also opens the way for the world to know him. Note the final line of Isaiah's words. Luke actually changes it slightly from how Isaiah in the Old Testament actually prophesied it. He says in verse 6, and all flesh will see the salvation of God. We often miss this. Our repentance makes the way that all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Right? Our repentance that makes a way, one of the ways that it makes is that all salvation, or all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Yes, we don't provide salvation. Our repentance doesn't bring about the salvation of others. It doesn't bring about the salvation of of Christ making all things new. But our repentance prepares the way so others can see it, so others can experience it, so others can know it. Kent Hughes, commenting on this passage, says, if the evangelical church today would repent of not just its individual, but also corporate sins. A highway would be forged to a lost world, and many would repent and come to Christ. Our repentance, both individually and corporately, not only prepares the way for God to work in our lives, but prepares the way for the salvation of God to be received by those outside the church. As we are people of repentance, God is faithful to bring salvation to those in our communities, our countries, and even the world. I'll close with this short passage from the Valley of Vision, which is a collection of Puritan prayers that were put together back in the 70s. And this is the kind of intro. It's titled Learning by Paradox. Thou hast brought me to the valley of vision where I live in the depths but see thee in the heights. Hemmed in by mountains of sin I behold thy glory. Let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up. That to be low is to be high. That the broken heart is the healed heart. That the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit. That the repenting soul is the victorious soul. 
That to have nothing is to possess all. That to bear the the cross is to wear the crown. That to give is to receive. That the valley is the place of vision. Jesus calls us to repentance, to prepare the way that the mountains would be brought low and the valleys would be raised up. May we be a people of repentance and may our repentance prepare the way for the salvation of the Lord to be seen by all people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your servant, John the Baptist, who not only called the people of his day to repentance, but Lord continues to call us through the work of your son, Jesus, by the power of your spirit. Lord, may we be a people of repentance. May it not merely be words that are spoken or sorrow that is cried over, but Lord, may it be acts of mercy and kindness and righteousness that flow from our repentance. That like Levi, the tax collector, that we would give back what has been, what we have taken, that what is not ours. That we might seek to use the positions and the places that we have in our repentance to bring about good to bring about hope. Lord, may our repentance in word and deed prepare the way that salvation, your salvation will be known and seen. Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us.